Philadelphia show. A little bit of Melbourne and a touch of Philly. The Melbourne show. The Melbourne show. A little bit of Melbourne and a touch of Philly. The Melbourne show. segments of the night and that is the artist interview and tonight I have the wonderful the talented the extraordinarily handsome how's that Hal, <laughs> Hal Henkel and and I have to say everyone Hal is my buddy I met him in person in LA a few months ago and I'm so happy he's my friend I'm so excited that he is on the show tonight Hal, I want to say it's a pleasure and a privilege to have you here. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> oh, it, it is my pleasure. So we are going to like dig a little and find out a little about, you know, all your journey. And then we're going to listen to, you know, one of the big tracks you played on that everyone's familiar with. And then we're going to go into some, a couple of your tracks too. But, you know, I wouldn't be doing the interview justice if I didn't talk about, you know, your journey with Tupac and Death Row and Snoop. Now, you were the featured guitarist on all of the um, Death Row Records stuff and, and Snoop and Tupac. Um, and how did, how did that all come about? What, what happened? I was the uh, in-house guitar player and technical advisor uh, before Death Row Records the period of about 1994 and the summer of 1997 when Tupac died. Mm-hmm. Um, that originally occurred as a result of playing at a birthday bash at the House of Blues. They have an annual Elvis birthday party hosted by the Blues Brothers. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, uh, it was featuring that night a favorite guitar player of mine named Johnny Guitar Watson. Mm-hmm. And Johnny invited me to come up and play on stage with the band, and uh, I had already performed with the house band several times before. We got mm-hmm. and did a couple of Johnny's tunes and did a version of Viva Las Vegas with everybody playing together, which is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And then I went backstage afterwards, and lo and behold, there's Tupac Shakur and Snoop Dogg hanging out in the foundation room. <laughs> with, can I, can I ask this? Were they smoking? <laughs> Uh, no, not at that point, but certainly later. Um, they were uh, just hanging out and enjoying the show, and uh, they were very impressed that this mm-hmm. fellow uh, could play uh, the guitar and do all the parts to all the Johnny Guitar Watson uh, funk tunes. Wow. So mm-hmm. Deepak invited me the next day to come to Can-Am Studios in Tarzana, California, which is in the San Fernando Valley next mm-hmm. to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And that started uh, about a three-plus-year working relationship where I was there almost every day. Um, I recorded incidental guitar and bass and keyboard parts and horn charts to uh, albums uh, including Machiavelli, Murder uh, Was the Case, All Eyes on Me, mm-hmm. the Death Row Christmas album, Nate Dog, Daz and Corrupt, The Dog Pound, uh, the Dog Pound Christmas album, <laughs> Danny Boy, Jewel, uh, Corrupt Solo album, and a few others I can't remember right now. Mm-hmm. There was also quite a number of songs that we recorded that have yet to be released, and perhaps mm. someday they'll be the light of day. Uh, for example, we did, as I mentioned on our last interview, uh, we had a couple of days there with the Ohio Players and mm. Tupac and Sleep Together. And I, I'd like to hear those tracks come to light. We wow. recorded six songs over three days. That was quite an experience, too. But mm-hmm. Again, quite a bit of material, all sorts of incidental guitar bits, and a couple of hits out of the whole thing that have sustained my career until this day as a studio musician in Los Angeles. Mm. Right? So look. Mm. And, and you know when I when I think of Tupac, you know I think of someone who you know had the ability to impact so many people. He really was you know a change maker, you know. And I think that that's really important in the world to have the ability to change things, you know, to not accept the status quo. And you know he really 
he really did that. And even, you know, though he's gone right now, you often think of the things that he really wanted to bring to the front. And, you know, mm-hmm. he, he really, he was a serious guy. He was, he was so serious, you know, yeah, you know, he had fun and played around, you know, and you could, you could see that in his, he, he had a joy of life, it seemed, but at the same time, he was dead serious. <laughs> is that, is that how you perceived him or how did you perceive him? I think that after his first initial uh, attack on him, where he was shot six times in a New York elevator, leaving the studio in 1992 or so, a couple of years before I met him, mm-hmm. was a life and death experience for him. And it made him realize how limited the time was around him and how fragile everything was mm-hmm. around him. That even mm-hmm. the fame and the money and the girls and the power and everything else was all temporary. And the most important thing for him was the message in the music itself. And he tapped into something that was a very universal truth, I think, for many people, uh, life is precious. Mm-hmm. Make the most of it while you can. Have a really good time. And make all the money and have as much fun as you want because there's no limitations. Mm-hmm. And I think that also might have been part of the thing that annoyed some of the people or, or caused problems with him was he had such such a, a, a an outspoken lust for life. Some people would rather not have those things talked about. And, uh, again, he was also a voice of um, freedom from tyranny and empiricism. He was he was mm-hmm. a kind of intellectual guy, really. If you really listen to his lyrics, he really thought about what he was saying, and it was a matter of life to death, to life mm-hmm. and death to him. Mm-hmm. And he made the most of it until his passing, and I can honestly tell your listeners that uh, some of whom think that he's still alive, he is. Mm-hmm. In his music. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and you know, I was, I was. It's funny that you say that that he's still alive in his music because you know I was talking about that just with Stacy on a segment we I I do every week, and we were talking about you know going after things that you want in life, making your life matter, and one of the things is the impact that you have on other people. If you bring them joy and you positively impact a lot of people, and you know can can progress humankind or you know bring awareness to others that's what you leave i mean that's that's the value of your life and if you are a negative influence on people and you don't do anything for others that's the value of your life too so you know it seemed like he did a lot for other people you know he he really made people think he he brought people to another spiritual level you know, and 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 that you know, as a musician, you can do that. You know, it's a it's a wonderful thing. Um, the musicianship is akin to uh, spirituality. <laughs> you know, well, it's the language of the spirit. Really, mm-hmm. music is the mm-hmm. language of the spirit and the emotions mm-hmm. in that case. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Very exactly. true. Yeah. Exactly. And and Snoop got a touch on him. Love Snoop. He'd. I'd love to. He would be such a funny friend to have. You'd just like, I can imagine he'd be hilarious. Now, is is he oh. is he hilarious? I just think of him and yeah, I laugh. He's one of those. He's one of those characters that you know we've seen him for so many years now, and I think everybody that that's heard his music feels a familiarity with him, right. maybe in a way they didn't have with Tupac. Uh-huh. He really is that person uh, when you see him in the flesh and hang out with him. We're still very good friends. In mm-hmm. fact. Uh, I went to a show of his out in uh, uh, Ramona, which is near uh, San Diego, and I was having some trouble accessing the uh, backstage area when I showed up. There was some mm-hmm. tickets available for me and mm-hmm. showed up. And uh, just at the time when his tour bus pulled up. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And uh, Snoop and his entourage walked right behind me. I was talking to security. I didn't see them. And he walked right up and said, there's no show unless Howard Henkel comes in. I'm not playing. <laughs> So he's a very loyal friend as well. We are, we're, we're still very mm-hmm. close. and mm-hmm. uh, uh, I've been following him through the uh, Snoop Lion changes he's been going through, which which is a perfectly natural progression for instance. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, what they call hip-hop or dance, that, that the music here was originally known as dance hall music in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. He came from there. It's, it's all style. Is that where he's from? So it's a very natural progression. Is Pardon that where me? he's from? Is that where he's from, Jamaica? No, he went down there uh, on a tour. And uh, mm-hmm. Bunny Whaler of the original Whalers band, Mm-hmm with Bob Marley, uh, met with him and said, yeah, man, you're not a dog, you're a lion. You should be a sweet lion. And that's where the whole thing came from. And, uh, that's awesome. Uh-huh. I'm sure they had quite quite a smoke out over that one. Well, I'm sure they did. But you know what? Only, sm- only Snoop could, you know, pull that one off, you know. Not a lot of people could pull that one off, but he, he certainly did. And, uh, you know, it's it's really cool. I, uh, you know, I... I think that he'd be a really, yeah. really cool friend to have. I, I like his personality, how he comes across. He's just 
really cool, chill, relax. <laughs> and he and he looks. I have to give a. Go ahead. Please. Go ahead. Uh, he he uh, just he just looks at uh, everything. It seems he looks at everything with. You know, from a comedic type of aspect, he's always laughing. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. is that true? Yep, he's always he's always uh, having fun and making fun himself, and you know, he doesn't take things too seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another reason for his long-lived success. And right. I want to take a brief moment to uh, just give a shout out to my friends Marlon Williams and the fellows in the Snoop Dogg band. Right, um, Snoop's progressive show is really really great. Mm-hmm. I- rock funk band. We, we were just at rehearsal a couple of weeks ago over at um, Center Staging here in Burbank. Really? Before Snoop left for Europe, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were just so funky and so cool and such a great hang. And Marlon's such a wonderful guitar player. I just want to send him out in proper respect. Oh, wow. Wow, that's awesome. And um, I just wanted to touch a, a bit on the other couple of people that you played with, and that is uh, the Neville Brothers. Including Na- yes. Aaron, Aaron Neville, you know what a voice, you know. How did now they're, they're almost sort of like it's really strange because they're almost accepted by country people, but they're sort of half R and B, and they've got like these falsetto voices, and they're, they're sort of like a strange mix of what genre do you fit them into? You know, <laughs> you know. Well, did, they are the they're the kings of New Orleans, and New Orleans is an amalgam of styles. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. They're an incredible funk band. They're a great hard rock band. Mm-hmm. Charles Neville is one of the most gifted saxophone players to have ever lived. Really? Um, mm-hmm. it, yep. Aaron is a wonderful, kind soul. He's uh, recently got remarried and now is pursuing a solo career, and the other Nevilles are doing their various things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ivan Neville's album, which I helped mix with Andy Johns, is uh, sitting right in front of me here. Oh, so cool. So dirty word, and if you haven't heard it yet, you're in for a treat. It's oh, super really? badass. It's super funky. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And Art Neville, the keyboard player, was just here at the Hollywood Bowl a couple of weeks ago with the Funky Beaters, some of whom played on my current album. That's awesome. Um, I, yeah, and then uh, we performed live together. I performed both as a lead guitar player with the Neville Brothers live mm-hmm. and also did some tracks on the album uh, Yellow Moon. Wow. Wow. So these these guys are really – you said they're from New Orleans. So they're really – Wow just such a cross-section of music. Like, I think of the big crossover hit that was Aaron Neville's, and that was the, wasn't it Don't Know Much? But I know, wasn't that the one he was on? Yep. Well, it started with Tell It Like It Is back in 1959, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. on Specialty Records. So mm-hmm. Aaron's been around quite a long time now. Right. Mm-hmm. But he had that big, it was a big Disney hit, if I remember, which was huge, breakover, uh, crossover, went worldwide. But it, it sounds like he is really at home getting down with all his, you know, brothers and his musician friends. And um, does he play an instrument himself or does he play several? Uh, he plays keyboards, but I've never seen him perform live with an hmm. instrument other than a cowbell. Hmm. But he has the voice of an angel, and he's just an incredibly kind-hearted person. He's a very earnest, kind-hearted person. Hmm. I remember uh, one time before I went on stage with him at the House of Blues at Anaheim, Mm -hmm. he uh, gave me this look, and it'll stay with me forever. It was one of those rare moments where he just kind of gave me that that look and that nod of, uh, you know you're going to do the right thing here, and you're not going to mess up. Are you? (laughs) (laughs) I was kind of frozen in my tracks, but it was Mm -hmm. then. It was Mm -hmm. at that moment that I knew I had been accepted by them. And when you're invited into that family, Mm -hmm. I mean, they call me Hal Neville. Oh, really? That is so cool. Hal, yeah. (laughs) So uh, they uh, have a lot of love for me, and uh, I was mentoring uh, young Ian Neville on guitar before he became a full-time member of Dumpster Punk. Uh, And again, we still keep in touch from day to day. We mm -hmm. believe, yes. Now, is he a brother or is he a child? Uh, Ian is 24, I think, now, and he is Art's son. Really? Okay, and yeah. he's 24, and he's pretty good on guitar now, huh? He's pretty funky. He's wow. great. Uh, what I like about Ian's guitar style is it's rather minimalistic, and he doesn't use any effects, but when what he plays, he makes it count, mm. and he fills the space, he listens, and he doesn't clutter things up. He's a he's very good funk rhythm guitar player in the style of, say, Curtis Mayfield. Mm, well, that's something to be said. Something to be very much. Out of your dirty word. Mm-hmm. Out of your dirty word. It's a great album. Mm-hmm. And now um, I wanted to touch while I'm still going through uh, past, you know, hell history. Before we go into your stuff, um, 
I wanted to know about Carlos Santana. Now, Carlos Santana, you worked with him. Now, what capacity did you work with him? And, you know, he, he's like an ultra guitar hero of many, many guitarists. So how did that come about? And, um, yeah, tell me. <laughs> uh, back in the early mid-'90s, I worked mm-hmm. with an African drum master named Babatunde Olatunji and the Drums of Passion. Mm-hmm. They have an electric rock and funk band. Right. Mm-hmm. That's where that's where Carlos got the idea to do Jingle Bob Live. It's actually a Yoruba chant for long life and prosperity. Really? Wow. I got involved with Olatunji as a spiritual mentor and a teacher. I did drum workshops with him, and it would culminate with a, a weekend every year at a place called Esalen Institute in Big Sur, where we'd spend the weekend. They'd do a drum and dance workshop, and we'd finish off the show with a uh, giant jam out. And uh, lo and behold, Carlos and his wife showed up. Wow. So mm-hmm. uh, we ended up playing guitar together there and then later did a string of shows around the Bay Area with uh, Olatunji, mm-hmm. uh, including opening for the Grateful Dead uh, during Mardi Gras. That was mm. an excellent experience with the big parade and the floats. Uh, we did a couple of very memorable shows at the Santa Cruz Civic Auditorium. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also played at the Fillmore, and we also played uh, at the Warfield Theater. So uh, quite long history. Well, also, also with Carlos, I played with him and Bobby Parker, one of your homeboys from uh, Philadelphia, as a matter of fact. Really? And New Georgia's one night. Yeah, that was a fun showdown. And hmm. we're still buddies. Um, I introduced his guitar tech, a guy named Ed Adair, to his wife a long time ago, too. So it's, it's kind of a family thing with him. But uh, we still have a great deal of love and respect for each other. And, I've studied his sound and his playing mm-hmm. uh, style very closely. In fact, um, Carlos has introduced me to these uh, Paul Reed Smith guitars, and I, I've owned many kinds of guitars. But I just recently started getting turned on to how good these are. Mm. And this is a fellow in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, that's building them, especially for Carlos. Um, so, yeah, just a wonderful guy and a great instrument. And hmm. one of those people you can hear about four bars of his guitar playing. You know exactly that that's Carlos Santana. Oh yeah, he's, he's very, very, uh, mm-hmm. very, very witty, very spiritual, very insightful guy. And some of the things that come out of his mouth are very surprising. Really, and very, very enlightening upon reflection. Yeah, very interesting fellow. He has a way of certain way of saying things. Wow, you he, know, and so when he, 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 he would say, "Go ahead, mm-hmm. uh, no, you go ahead." I'm, I'm totally listening to your conversation. Please, mm-hmm. he was, he was telling me funny stuff like, "You have to visualize the music like water, Harold. It's time to go and water the flowers." before we walked on stage. I think about it later and go, wow, it's really true. These people are really liking this, man. This is, this is great. <laughs> I'm looking over and there's Carlos playing cowbell. <laughs> oh, wow. Really funny stuff. Now, yeah, and grooving with it, really liking it. Big smile on his face. And that, that's, again, where I really knew I had made an impression and was in with the mm-hmm. right people at the right time. Very special. Wow. Now, you also, well, I wanted to say with Carlos Santana, he is a prolific guitarist himself, but he always travels and tours with another guitarist in the band, or he travels with a couple of guitarists. How does he do that? What does he do? Uh, yes. Well, because uh, oftentimes, of course, it's a recorded material, there'll be a rhythm guitar part and a lead guitar part. Mm-hmm. But also, typically, and a lot of people don't know this, Jorge Santana is his brother and right. also his manager. Really? So that's who plays rhythm guitar in the band. And here's another interesting Carlos Santana fact. Once, once I got to know the guy, I said, yeah, come for dinner. Uh, my father's playing this restaurant. And it turns out his father would play at the cantina in San Rafael in the 90s with a mariachi band. So Carlos grew up in a mariachi band family in Tijuana. Really? So he started off, yeah, and his story is very interesting. He started as a, as a dishwasher at the Fillmore. And he kept needling Bill Graham saying, please let me play, please let me play. Mm-hmm. And finally one night, uh, I think there was Mike Bloomfield and the Electric Flag or Butterfield Blues Band mm-hmm. canceled. And uh, Bill said, hey, if you want to play, uh, bring your uh, Santa Ana Blues Band in <clears throat> and uh, do the gig. And the rest is history. About six weeks later, they were playing Woodstock. Wow, that's that's amazing. Uh-huh. That is amazing. So mm-hmm. what I'm going to... Very gonna... beginning. Oh, yeah. I, I, I just love this story. So what I'm going to do is I am going to play one of the biggest songs with Cal's signature guitar. So this song's a really cool song, and uh, this is Hal's signature guitar. Everyone knows this track, um, and it's by Tupac, California Love, and then we're going to come back and we're going to get into Hal's original music and going to play some of his tracks too, so really looking forward to that. But in the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy Tupac with California Love, and take note of the guitar because that is the wonderful Hal Hankel, the very talented, on guitar and bass, on guitar and And bass, bass. and bass, there you go. 
just a quick note, that song was a, a sample of a cassette tape that I used to play in my Chevy van outside the studio. We, we, I had a camperized 72 Chevy van, and we'd listen to mixes inside of it because mm -hmm. I had a really nice stereo. Mm -hmm. And that's a sample of Mad Dogs and Englishman by Joe Cocker, a song called Woman to Woman. Many really? of your listeners might not know that. Yep, it's a sample of Joe Cocker, and I doubled the bass line and guitar part. Wow, that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> I love getting like little facts that no one knows. So you said you said something, Joe Cocker? Correct. Joe Cocker, the song is called Woman to Woman. It's from the album Mad Dogs and Englishman. Wow, I love it. I love it. Yep. So in yeah, any... Dr. Gray and, and Tupac heard that in the truck and said, hey, listen to that list. Let's sample that. <laughs> and the rest of they say is history. It was all done in one night. Wow. Wow. And just just before I play it, what's Dre like? Is Dre really nice? You like Dre? Dre's rather soft-spoken. He's one of those strategy-minded people that thinks about things before he opens his mouth. And, but he understands exactly what the label wants and mm -hmm. exactly what the public wants and exactly what pleases his ear. And he's also a very much a craftsmanship, workman person that will stay with the task until it's completed, whether that takes you know three hours or three days. He's there mm -hmm. until the end of the session. Mm -hmm. uh, he and Jimmy Iovine, at that time the president of Interscope uh, Records, the label, uh, were there for the entire recording session, as well as Roger Troutman from the band Zap, who's now passed away. Hmm. And he uh, does the California Love Mick on the vocoder. Right. On that track. So that's Roger wow. Troutman on the vocoder, for those of you that don't know. Oh, wow. So now, everybody, sit back, relax, and enjoy California Love and this features Hal Hankel on the guitar and bass. Love this. Ha <laughs> ha.
am here and back with the wonderfully talented Hal Hankel. Hal, that was like really groovy and very, very funky. Really enjoyed listening to that. It had been a while. <laughs> what a blast. But now what I want to do is get into your new stuff and everything you've been doing as an independent solo artist. So... What have you been doing and what releases have you had in the last few years and what have you, who have you been working with? So I want to know a little bit about that. Uh, so yeah, if you want to start with perhaps the first album after you finished with the um, Death Row camp. So yeah, that would be really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I used uh, some of the money from my Death Row funds to created an album that came out in uh, 2001 called Halcyon Blues, which is an instrumental album featuring mm -hmm. Rick Parnell from Spinal Trap on the drums and Elgin Seals from the Jerry Garcia Band on bass. Mm. And that album is a variety of styles, from jazz to rock to funk, blues, country. Each song is a different style. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, very well received by the critics and played all around the world. Uh, it was voted the favorite album of the year in Vintage Guitar Magazine, uh, Top Ten Artists' uh, Choice in the Music Connection Magazine. I was awarded the uh, finalist in the West L.A. Guitar Competition here, that, of, which there, of which there are ten finalists in the winner, hmm. uh, so, and so on and so forth. And uh, got onto a pretty healthy uh, run of um, uh, studio work here in Los Angeles, making everything from uh, radio jingles to rock albums to folk and uh, blues and uh, jazz and, of course, more hip-hop albums, which I'm still involved in now. Mm. via um, Hollywood Way uh, Studios here in Burbank. Uh-huh. Now, who owns, uh, then, who, uh, who, owns the whole, who owns the Hollywood Way Studios that you do the, a lot of hip-hop out of? A fellow named Dave Aaron, who uh, also has his own label now, Mental Delia Records, and he is Snoop uh, Lion, a.k.a. Snoop Dogg's uh, front-of-house engineer when he tours internationally. Uh, parts of the Snoop Line album were mixed there. Uh, I also worked on Kesha's album there this year. Five and Neville Dumpster Funk album, Slightly Stupid. Uh, Banyan featuring Stephen Perkins from Dane's Addiction. Mm -hmm. uh, a num number of indie bands as well, uh, including We's Us. A fellow named Chocolate George from Denver's got a great album out. A band called Room H from San Francisco. Uh, a trumpet player from Indiana named Willie Waldman. And various other parts. Also, Devante from Jodeci. Um, HD, who's a hip-hop artist here from L.A. He's kind of the new Tupac. Mm -hmm. uh, and quite a few others. YG, uh, who's a famous uh, producer that Snoop's bringing up, did some tracks for him. So, again, these are incidental guitar and bass parts on various pop albums. Right. Mm -hmm. and in, in addition to that, uh, through the last two years, finishing about a year ago, mm -hmm. I completed another solo album of rock material mainly, uh, entitled In Flagrante. And hmm. it's produced by a fellow named Andy Johns, who passed away in April, unfortunately. But many of your listeners will know Andy's work from uh, producing and mixing albums by Led Zeppelin okay. and the Rolling Stones. Wow. Now, which albums did he produce? And, and I believe we were when we were talking the other week on the industry panel that we did, mm -hmm. um, Bobby Eli, I think, brought his name up. Was that, is that, mm -hmm. does my memory serve me correctly? When uh, yes. I, th I think his name was brought up. Mm. And now what mm -hmm. albums did he work on uh, with The Stones and with with Led Zeppelin? Did he work on The Stairway to Heaven? <laughs> yes, uh, I got a great story about that. But first to answer your question, uh -huh. uh, he worked on every Led Zeppelin album from two until the final album, Coda, uh, as an engineer and as a producer. He was very close with the band. Wow. And every Rolling Stones album from Let It Bleed until Black and Blue, so from about 67 to 74 or so. And then during the time that I lived next door to Andy for six or seven years, I assisted him mm -hmm. on a number of projects, including Steve Miller Band's Bingo Project, mm. uh, Creed's album, uh, L.A. Guns. Mm -hmm. uh, we also worked together on the box set reissues for Exile on Main Street by the Rolling Stones and Layla by Derek and the Dominoes, going back to the original master tapes, and I would... Uh, uh, help uh, Andy take care of some of the uh, effects and control some of the mixes. Uh, wow! He couldn't get up out of his chair. Now, did he yeah, uh, did he work from home or did he have a studio away from home? No, he worked away from home. Uh, we listened at his home quite a bit. He had a nice listening system, but mm -hmm. he did the mixes. Uh, many of them at Oceanway Studios. My album was recorded uh, at the Mint and then mixed at Johnny Depp's house. 
What? Johnny was very close. Johnny yeah. Depp's house. Johnny Depp had a studio. Good, good studio, huh? Yes, it's a private studio, and he has a label called Pop Squad. So it's really? A converted, uh, it's converted. It's two houses here in, uh, in Studio City uh, with a pool in between them. The, the main house is his merchandising, marketing, management. Wow. Uh, the studio and the recording facility and rehearsal studio for Johnny's band is on the other side of the pool. Yeah, we were there for about three weeks. Uh, it was nice to meet Johnny. He's a nice enough chap. Mm-hmm. He was very into his guitar playing and uh, sat there and uh, was a very good listener and asked some very uh, intelligent, informed questions. He, he's a big fan of the guitar. He had some very cool and collectible rare old Fenders and Gibsons. So it was really? a very, very pleasant experience. I enjoyed it, yeah. Huh. And now, does he, because he lives in Europe a lot, doesn't he? But he, he's like in and out, I guess, of Europe, L.A., or? Um, uh, yes, I, I understand that he lives in south of France somewhere, but he does use the L.A. house as his pied-à-terre when he's uh, here shooting movies. At the time we were there, he was developing a documentary with Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones about his life, which as yet is unreleased. So there were some interesting guests as well through the sessions. Wow, um, that's, we were that's... there, uh, he was off to the recordings, which were taking place at the Palladium each day. So as we would be coming to work, the people for the night before would just be leaving the studio. So it's quite mm. interesting, a lot of fun. Mm-mm-mm. That's a that's really, really awesome. So now with the album the new album or the songs that i you sent me today i have a few that i'm i'm gonna i had a few that you sent me but there's a couple that uh we're going to play tonight and uh if you could tell me a little about them um i've got here lined up i believe we have pray for la so how did that come about? What what was this like about the riots, or you know, I'm trying to think, or or just just the debauchery around LA? <laughs> you, so you hit it on the head. That song came to me when I was living at a fellow named P.F. Sloan's house, uh-huh. and he uh, also a secret agent man. A lot of people know that song, hmm. but uh, we collaborated on the lyrics, and they were definitely about the Rodney King riots and uh, the lack of uh, scruples and morality that occur mm. when you live in Los Angeles. Yeah type of energy you go to and uh, the fact also that the police are corrupt here and uh, mm. there's problems with the government and fixing the streets here and so on. So it's a very crooked little cowboy town here and mm. everybody knows each other's business. So it's very incestuous that way. And we're just mm. reflecting on that because we're two pretty righteous guys and we and stuff like that tends to be upsetting for us. So we're, I wrote, we're, wrote the, the lyrics with T.F. Sloan and wrote the music myself and it's definitely a nod to Led Zeppelin. And Andy just kicked butt on the drums and guitar sounds on it. Right. Really, really is a good sounding song. So, so you had Andy, who was the Zeppelin guy, who was your next-door yep. neighbor. He was on it. And the other guy was a Zeppelin guy, too? No, P.F. Sloan is a singer-songwriter. He's been in L.A. for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, co-wrote several wrote several hits, um, Eve of Destruction, uh, Secret Agent Man, California Dreaming with the Mamas and Papas. Really? He's kind of a legendary, reclusive songwriter guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I rented a room for him for a while when I first moved here when I was doing the Death Row stuff. Wow. We wrote a number of songs together. That's really, really cool. So we are going to... wrote the lyrics. Really? Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's lyric, we co-wrote the lyrics together, and uh, I wrote the music and laid it down uh, in the studio. Wow, that's really, that's really, really cool. Very cool. Now, is he still alive? Yes, he's still alive. He's still producing albums. Uh, he released an album called Sail Over that features my guitar and bass playing all over it, and it's produced by uh, Frank Black from the Pixies. Cool. And it's also an excellent uh, rock record for those of you listeners who'd like to check it out. Wow. Again, uh, Los Angeles living legend. Wow, that's awesome. So we're going to listen to that a little later. I want to talk some more before we listen to something else. And then I also wanted to know about Gigolo Pimp, which is going to, the track we're going to play later, but I just wanted to find out a little about that. And, you know, I, I just love the term Gigolo Pimp. Because there are a lot, you know, like you see them all the time, these gigolo pimps, or they think they are. They think they're the gigolo pimps. And they're not. (laughs) You know, it's just like, and I'm sure you get a lot of them in LA. Oh, my God. Driving the flash cars and looking like they're, you know, and, and sucking women in. Because, you know, they're the mm-hmm. pimps, too. Sucking women into the, their, uh, I guess, their image. You know, these, these, guys are, so. these, guys are, these, these guys are the ultimate players, aren't they? The gigolo p- pimps. <laughs> this, is, this is the Olympics. Of, this is the player-hater Olympics here, buddy. But uh, that song 
that song is a, definitely a tribute to uh, my dear departed friend, Johnny Guitar Watson, probably my biggest singular influence on the electric guitar, and in terms of becoming a different character for each song. And many people, when they hear the songs where I'm singing on it, don't realize it's me singing, but it is. And wow. it's definitely uh, sort of the reverse of a hip song, hip hop song, mm-hmm. where I'm not so, uh, where I become this character who's uh, putting love up for sale to lonely women, basically. And hmm. uh, there it is, Jigolo Pimp. It's also kind of a kind of an insider joke about the music industry, really. <laughs> <laughs> People who run it. You think so? Oh, geez. But they've lost all... Absolutely. See, but the people who run it aren't running it so well anymore because everyone's learning how to, you know, do it themselves, you know. It's not so controlled from the top. Yeah, you've still got your clear channel who are, you know, in bed with the top, you know, record companies, of course. But, you know, and, you know, I'm sure... Who knows who... Which of them are listening to me because I always say the truth. (laughs) I certainly hope they are and I hope they're listening with ears wide open because I'm coming up with another album right now. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I think that, you know, that it is such an interesting and exciting time right now to be a musician with the technology and, you know, the ability to have your own home studios and and mm-hmm. also, you know, which makes it so affordable because once upon a time it was so – if if you weren't in with a click or – it was so – it wasn't really affordable, you know. It wasn't very affordable for many people. And even artists would go in and record companies would pay for their studio costs, but they'd end up owing a million dollars for recording, <laughs> you know. It's like – Woo! Mm-hmm. And and this day and age, you can do a lot of pre-production at home. I mean, you can mm-hmm. even do the whole album at home if you want, or you can do a lot of the pre-production, you know, at home, and then you know, bring it to the studio for the final, you know, little frills. But it's it's mm-hmm. it's certainly an interesting time, and and also the ability to reach your fans the acceptance of, you know, and I think it's all with the reality TV and and I actually like it because once upon a time, I think that artists were so, let's say, they were put up on pedestals and were not, you know, were almost not real, yet they were real people. But now I believe that everyone... You know, they're real. They're touchable. People relate to them. So it's just such a great era because if you're a real person and you're a real artist, you have to embrace your fans or they're going to get wind of it. You know, they're going to get wind of it if you don't embrace them. Whereas back in the day, you had artists who weren't so embracing of their fans. And the fans didn't know because that's the way it was. I I think that it's a lot more real these days. And I think that fans deserve respect because an artist is nothing without their fans, you know, without their supporters. Um, So what, what is your take on the industry today and the technology, social media and um, home studios? Well, it, it, at this stage of the game for me, it's still kind of an experimental thing, but I, I'm taking this album to market on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, even with the addition of Andy's mixes and the mm-hmm. many celebrity guests I've had on the mm-hmm. album, I'm not terribly interested in the type of publishing, uh, what they call 360 deals that are being made available to me mm-hmm. here in Los Angeles, even with my kind of credentials. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm much more interested in maintaining creative control, being able to govern my image and my uh, message that I'm trying to put out to people in a similar way that Frank Zappa did, where when he got enough leverage in the Hollywood music industry, he was mm-hmm. able to create music that created, provoked thought and social uh, discussion, mm-hmm. and also some mm-hmm. lead guitar uh, at a time when lead guitar solos were terribly popular. Hmm. Uh, I feel very, very, a kindred, very much a kindred spirit with him as well as, as an industry outsider who was able to call his own shots. Hmm. Um, and it's been, it's been, it's been successful for me. The good, good responses have been coming back. I've been receiving airplay on K Rock here in Los Angeles, one of the best FM stations in the mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. Uh, K Jazz featured the album now a month ago. The solo was two months ago now. Uh, KPFK's had me in rotation here. Uh, KCSN's about to do a feature on me on uh, the Blue Show. 
So there's a, there's interest in what I'm doing, and people are responsive to it, and they really like it. Mm. And, uh, and if people like that, and they like your live show, they're going to come back. And my model of success has changed from someone's going to help me to market my music and give me money to go on tour to cultivating what uh, Scott Page has educated me about, mm. the Saxburg and Pink Floyd, um, about what they call the thousand true fans, which is a thousand fans that will spend a hundred dollars on an artist each year, I which know, allows I me an operating budget where I can live, maintain a household, and uh, support myself mm-hmm. uh, through by only doing my art. Mm. And as it is now, I have more than a thousand fans, so I'm very, very satisfied with that response, and the mm. word keeps spreading. Every day I'm looking on Facebook, there's more people hitting me. Every day the mm-hmm. Reverb Nation page is a new thing. Your listeners can go there and, and download the two songs that we're going to play today for free as a gift mm-hmm. for me. Mm. And uh, I, I want to maintain that uh, open relationship and that discourse with my fans so I can keep in touch with what people are interested in and what they enjoy and what they don't enjoy. Exactly. And uh, for the most part, mm-hmm. it's been very, very positive. Mm, mm. I, and, and, you know, just speaking to the point of Scott Page, now, um, Scott, you um, introduced me to him or you gave me his information yesterday and I, of course, followed up today and talked to him and he's a really sweet guy, you know. I, I um, He was very humble and really sweet to talk to and I, I look forward to talking to him and having him involved in, like, industry discussions that we have on the show, you know, at, along with you. You. I think that we can, you know, if we can make change or make noise with a lot of the industry discussions and, you know, be able to impact people, I think that it's, like, really good. I think it's really, mm-hmm. really phenomenal. And, and some of the ideas that, that, that you have that, you know, Scott has with this thousand true fans, I love it. I mean, it's not too much to spend a hundred dollars a year on your favorite artist. Uh, you know, with, with merchandise, um, you know, perhaps you can get, you know, a leveled item, you know, a, a signed CD or something special for a fan who wants to, you know, do those type of things. So, so do you do, does he involve the leveling with this thousand true fans, or how does he work that? Uh, that would be concert tickets, uh, merchandise, and downloads. Mm. Right, That's right. the kind of support I'm talking about, yes. And also, once people obtain your music, whether it's through a dollar download or by buying a CD at your mm-hmm. gig, mm-hmm. or also I'm providing uh, live uh, music recordings also from the gigs nowadays. Right. Uh, each of those are income streams that uh, allow the music to develop and further, and make sure that we can all uh, have some sort of a lifestyle without resorting to having a day job. Exactly. Again, it, it's not an easy path. I've had some setbacks and I've had some uh, moving forward, but mm-hmm. uh, that's the life of a musician. And I, in addition to doing the studio work and performing live around Los Angeles, I've managed to eke out an existence here and survive through mm-hmm. all the changes in music mm-hmm. by staying true to my fans and staying true to the music that I like to play. Uh, not limited by style. When someone says, what is Hal Hankel's style? I couldn't answer my style is a level of personal expression based on what I'm seeing around me and feeling around me and the people at the, at any given time. Exactly. It's always changing. Exactly, and it speaks... And that's something you couldn't do back in the day. I'd be that guy a hip-hop guitar player. Yeah, well, it speaks volumes that you were the accepted, you know, guitarist and bass player on all these, you know, death row tracks. I mean, people must have been so surprised, you know, at seeing you when they walked into the studio. How how did that go down? How did that go down? Well, it was my first experience of being a minority. (laughs) Uh, uh, There was four of us in the studio that created what I would call the wrecking crew of death row records. Right. Dave Aaron, who I mentioned earlier, was the audio engineer. A fellow named Tommy Doherty, excellent bass player and engineer. He's still here in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And the great Willie Waldman on the trumpet, who uh, now lives in Chicago. He's actually in town this week uh, for the launch of Dave's record label. And uh, that was the four of us, the wrecking crew of uh, Death Row Records. The four white guys who made it all happen. Wow. That that's that's awesome. So you know, and th- and they really they knew who to bring in on their projects. They knew to bring the best people in on their projects, and you know they were very driven themselves. And you know, just just how phenomenal. Now now getting back to uh, the state of the industry and today, 
How do you feel about downloads? And, you know, when you put things out there, do you, do you take hard copy CDs to your gigs and do you sell both the CDs and downloads online? How, how does that work and how do you feel about it? I think it's a win-win situation. I take CDs to the gigs for sale, mm-hmm. which actually, as it turns out, my CDs have like 12 or 14 songs. So you're buying a CD for 10 bucks. It costs me about a buck and a half to print and carry to the gig. Right. So that's still an excellent mm-hmm. markup for me. But if they buy the download, it's going to be 12 or $15, depending on the number of tracks on the CD, of course, at a dollar a download. Right. So, again, I see it as a win-win situation. If you, if you like it and you got the 10 bucks in your pocket, here's a CD, take it home. Play it for your friends. I don't care what you do with it. Mm -hmm. If you play it for 10 friends and if you copy it for 10 friends, those 10 friends are going to tell 10 friends who are going to tell 10 friends. Exactly. And that's how things trickle down to street Mm -hmm. credibility and more interest in what you're doing. Exactly. And and, Um, Also, mm -hmm. merchandise is a good money earner. Uh, Obviously, song placement in motion picture, television, and film I'm searching for. I've got some things cooking on that end for some popular television series and movies that are coming out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are all avenues for uh, possible income streams. And again, in this case, I retain ownership and, and uh, publication monies in mechanical uh, royalties, whereas uh, if these were label-released album projects, they would retain at least 80% of those income, leaving 20% of those incomes for me to divide up between my agent, manager, publicist, attorney, and band members which would leave you with a very small, possibly mm. one or two cents on the dollar before taxes take the rest of it. So you have to sell a million of these things to make $100,000. Mm-hmm. It's not a great business model. And the bands will take it. And if the bands don't accept those terms, there's another band right down the street that will. Mm-hmm. And what's resulted there is a lot of very mediocre products. I mean, I don't relate to the Arctic Monkeys, but that's just me. They're not, there are obviously millions of people that do. Mm-hmm. So, again, I, I'm coming from a different place than that. I want to tell an interesting story based on my life experience, not mm. based on what the market demands. And I want to play some groovy lead guitar and entertain the heck out of people, and I want to amaze my guitar player friends, who are also all terrific guitar players. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, you know, I, I was just stunned at the amazing guitar players I had online the other no- the, the other week when we were all on the phone. It was just like I had the... Uh, the the mecca of guitarists online, <laughs> and you were all blowing each other's minds. It was so funny. I, I thought that was hilarious, you know. But they, it it was really really great. But now with these uh, the independent music and uh, you know young people trying to put it out themselves and go at the music industry from an independent level. What sort of advice would you give to young independent artists who are the main artists and also young guitarists, you know, dealing with an industry that people often share musicians on the road and, you know, you've got a lot of people who travel with tracks (laughs) these days. Mm -hmm. So what is your advice to young guitarists, number one, and to young independent artists? Well, my advice to young guitarists is uh, learn to play bass. You'll get more gigs. (laughs) It worked for me. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And uh, study the greats. I mean, it really all starts and stops with B.B. King and Buddy Guy and the rest Mm -hmm. of just, uh, you know, Johnny Guitar Watson, obviously, is a big influence of mine as well. And how I got interested in their music was by reading up about who my favorite artists were in the 60s and 70s, who influenced them. For example, you know, Keith Richards, Jimmy Page, mm-hmm. Keith Townsend, my, my heroes at the time, mm-hmm. listed their influences. And I would go to the used record store and find their stuff. And nowadays, it's even easier. You just punch it in. Buddy God, boom, boom. There's 200 videos right there. Mm-hmm. Take a look, kids. And you can also see close up how they're doing it. But definitely study from the masters. They're the tradition of mentorship and music that's very that's very powerful mm-hmm. always been that way since the renaissance era if not before that back to the caveman era you would learn from somebody who was older and more experienced than you and in my case from the age of about 13 or so on i would search out these guitar players when they came to my hometown in canada people mm-hmm. like stevie ray vaughn albert king john lee hooker these people who i go to and i wait around for hours afterwards to meet these people and some of whom, for example, David Lindy and I are still very close friends. Buddy and I, Buddy Guy and I keep a close relationship, hmm. and so on and so forth. And it was a matter of searching these people out and really sitting down and asking them, you know, how does this thing work? How can I be a great musician? How can I be a great guitar player? And, and again, it's mentorship. It's studying the people who you're influenced by and also to look into the people that influence the bands that you're really interested in. I'm sure the guy 
And Radiohead, for example, has some interesting uh, examples of people who he's, he's influenced by. He has a very unique, specialized guitarist. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So, how? Yeah. I think I lost you there for a second. Uh, but, no, I'm right here. Oh, okay. So, wow, what amazing, amazing information. And I just, uh, you know, I'm excited about the industry right now and, you know, everything that is happening, the opportunities that are available to people and, and also all the connections I'm make, making. Now, how do you feel about the social media? I'm, I'm curious about that and how, how are you approaching the social media with your music? Uh, initially, I was rather skeptical. I thought, well, this is something for teenage girls to do. <laughs> Keep in touch with each other and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. find out who their boyfriends, mm-hmm. uh, girlfriends are. Mm-hmm. But it's much more than that. It's, it's developed in this humongous phenomena, this worldwide mm-hmm. media network where we're all the stars at the same time. Mm-hmm. And for a person marketing any kind of audiovisual media, whether it's films, uh, songwriting, uh, what have you, I mean, the list goes on and on, print media, what have you. Um, it's an indispensable tool, and it's a great way to keep uh, very immediate feedback with all the people around you. I mean, if I do a good gig, the word's out on the Internet within minutes. And uh, and I I have to admit, I'm hooked. It's the first thing I do in the morning is reach for the phone and go through my Twitter account, Reverb Nation, Facebook, etc., and check my email and uh, so on. And so, again, it's become an indispensable tool and it's a way for people to relate and, again, to find out immediately for free where you're at artistically at any given time. I always try and create something humorous and fun and uh, show people, you know, what's going on. And, you know, for good times or bad, music for me is, is food. And it makes it nutrition. For, and it keeps me going through the times when times aren't going so well. And it keeps me feeling centered and together when I'm on top so that I can be, you know, more present and more aware and really give as much as I possibly can. And mm-hmm. again, it, it, I hear it over and over again how inspired people are when they hear it and they see what I've been through to get to where I am. Because it wasn't an easy path, and I saw so many friends fall mm. away and, and pass away and, and, and leave for various reasons. And I'm still here. I'm still doing the music. Uh, I've got a new band I'm working on right now, and uh, we're looking forward to recording yet another album. And that's that's Hal, uh, Hal, Harold Hal Henkel and the Flying Camels. Is that correct? That's correct. Yay! Yep, that's correct. I just actually posted it on the chain, so people are aware of uh, the. This is the new band that you've got called. Ha- this is the new band, correct? Well, the current Flying Camels band and I uh, are taking a hiatus right now, and I have a new uh, band I'm doing with Scott Page on sax. And a fellow named Frankie Cashwadi, who's uh, James Brown's drummer. He's mm-hmm. also in Parliament Funkadelic for 17 years. Mm-hmm. And the new bass player is a fellow named Chris Severn from New Orleans. He's the Neville Brothers bass player. So we have a new super group we're putting together. And uh, it's going to be pretty funky and pretty rocking. I'm Damn. playing the seven-string guitar with the new band also. So it's going to be quite <laughs> a new thing. We're going in a brand-new direction here and looking forward to letting everybody hear what we're doing. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Uh, I, I look forward to hearing some of it too. But what I want to say, because I'm, I'm going to wrap up in a second, but what I want you to say is, firstly, if you could tell the listeners in one word or, or you know, a, a short phrase, uh, something that describes you, you know, it can be one word, and it doesn't have to be about music. What would you say? What what word would incorporate you? What few words would incorporate you? The word Svengali. Svengali. There you go. Wow. I like that. <laughs> I, I get a lot of things done on a lot of levels with a lot of people at various times all at once. I make a lot of stuff happen for a lot of people. And if you ask any of my friends, what they'll say is, you know, Harold has a lot going on at once. He's a bit of a handful, but if you take the time to listen, you're going to learn a lot. That's why I'm your friend. That's why I need Spengali's in my life. You know, <laughs> love you are. it. I know you are absolutely. There you go. Yep. There you I'm go. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a I'm a philanthropist. I help other artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a perfectionist at what I do. Mm-hmm. I'm a true artist in that I remain true to my craft through thick and thin. I've never sold out to any sort of uh, corporate interest with my music. And I've mm-hmm. always been about personal expression and telling the truth based on my life experience, and also playing, as I said before, some mean-ass lead guitar. There you so go. I hope you're this enjoy <laughs> Pray for LA. Exactly. So now, Hal, I wanted you to let the listeners know um, that if they look up 
the different social media, what names do they need to look up to find you? And also, do you have any gigs coming up uh, in uh, you know the near future? Like, mm-hmm. uh, it would be under Harold uh, Hal H A L. That's my nickname. Mm-hmm. Ankle and the Flying Camels. We are at Facebook. We have a fan page and a personal page. Mm-hmm. Reverb Nation, uh, Flying Camels eight one eight at Twitter dot com. <clears throat> and also have a YouTube channel, Harold Hal Henkel. And again, there's plenty of uh, videos of live performances and various demonstrations of various unusual guitar styles and sounds that I've used over the years, and also many of the various uh, instruments and amplifiers that I use uh, based on my endorsement deals with various manufacturers, including ESP guitars, <clears throat> Hayden and Tonic amps, solid cables, and the Pigtronic uh, effects pedals. So again, I thank my sponsors for the great uh, tools that I have to make my music with. Nice, nice. So now what I am going to play is the two tracks we were talking about before, and that is Pray for L.A. and Gigolo Pimp. So uh, how I want to say what a pleasure and a privilege it has been for you to come on my show and be interviewed. Thank you so much. Thank you, and uh, you know, I just want to mention that uh, you are a master of time travel. It's now noon in your hometown. <laughs> it is tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We are actually back to the future on your show. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, I, do, I, do, I deal with this all the time on a daily basis because all my family is there. But yes, we're projecting the show into tomorrow for you yeah. folks in Melbourne. I wish all of you, and especially our mutual friends, you and Oroxas, the very best. And uh, thank you again for listening to me. Uh, you know, Hal, and we will be bringing Hal on. We'll, you'll be on with me next week with a panel. So that's going to be really oh. cool. You, you're going to come on and okay. talk, about, talk about some industry things with me I believe so we're going to have this panel going on and um, that'll be really cool Uh, but I will be putting all of that out there for the listeners you know just to listen listen through to the last one I just you know I went away from that I was so excited and you know just boiling over knowing that you know, there was so much great information coming from so many great minds that you know I've got mm-hmm. to I've got to do it on a monthly basis now, and you know just just bring up industry issues and there's so many industry issues going on. So so you know hopefully everyone keep an eye out. I will an eye and an ear out because I will post things on social media and let people know what's going on. So yeah, I will I will speak very shortly with you, Helen. Once again, thank you very much. And we are now going into Pray for LA and Gigolo Pimp, both by Harold Henkel. Harold Hal Henkel. So everyone sit back, relax, and enjoy. And I will be right. back with Morgan Taylor and, and Morgan's Mayhem after these two tracks. So everyone sit back, relax, and enjoy. And thank you, Hal. Thank you very much. I just want to say congratulations to uh, my girlfriend, Erin Daniels, for being in the LA Weekly as the best big band in the city today. Just came out in the best of LA list. So congratulations. Oh, wow. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome, Erin. I was reading the LA Weekly before (laughs) the show, and there it was. He's the best in LA. So there you go. Wow, Erin. Thanks again for having me. Erin, we will be bringing you on shortly when I, I think I said to you, I want to bring her on when I have a women's empowerment night. I'm going to do a whole women's show, all women. So, so uh, you know, she would be a great interview to do on my all women's show. Even all the tracks I'll play will be all women. I think that it's, you know, time to do an all women's show. <laughs> very, yeah, very shortly. That, that, well so done, that would Aaron. be really good. So I'd, I'd love to interview Erin uh, for that, you know, and bring some of her tracks because I know she's got something coming up soon. So as we get closer to that, I'll, I'll try and arrange something around that. So any case, everyone, as I said, Harold Henkel with Pray for LA and Gigolo Pimp. And... 